0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Business Leader Insight brought to you today by our sponsor, Nightstone Capital. Uh, For those of you that don't know, Business Leader is the UK's leading B2B media platform and we have a print magazine, live and virtual events network, and a website updated daily with news and insights. For those of you who don't know Business Leader, do log on at www.businessleader.co.uk. This live interview series is seeing us bring you inspiring business figures and for today's interview, we are speaking to Barry Hearn. Barry is the founder of Matroom Sports and has had a truly uh, amazing career, which we'll be finding out more about today. So let's begin. I'd like to uh, say good morning and welcome to uh, Barry Hearn today. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well, sir.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I'm good. So, well, thank you for joining us there. I just want to start, uh, Barry. I mean, we're living in, yeah, unprecedented, unique times. So just want to get your take on how you found the last three months as, as someone you know involved in sport and business.
1: Well, it, obviously, it's been difficult, I think, for a lot of people. Um these are unprecedented times. I, I was born just after the end of the second world war, but I can imagine a similar sort of feeling of the unknown that happened during wartime. And this, of course, is a war just against a different type of foe, but um. From sports business, from general television business, I don't think I've seen such challenges in my 45 years in the business. And it's been a daunting task to get back to near, well, semi-normality and then look into plans. It is a time for reflection and it's a time for planning the future. And I'm sure, actually, some business good will come out of this once we get back to normality, but that's the big doubt. The, the, the danger at these times is the inability to plan so far ahead because of the uncertainty. And thanks, Barry. I just want
0: to now to talk about your your career and how you got involved in sport and matrim. Can you just give us a kind of run through to to, 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 to how you've uh, achieved what you have?
1: I mean, I started off, uh, you know, a councilhouse boy with a very pushy mum who decided she wanted her son to be successful. And she was the one that told me to be a chartered accountant, so as I'm very easily dominated by strong-willed women especially, uh, I did what I was told and um, had a reasonable career there with going up, finished with KPMG, moved on as a finance director, headhunted to head up a fashion company, had ideas of diversification, which took me into, by luck, uh, halls and and then, of course, you know, you do need some luck in life. You can be the smartest kid on the block, but you've got to have the ball run, if you like, you know. Um, all of a sudden, this skinny ginger kid walked in. He's, he just happened to be the best snooker player in the world called Steve Davis. We became friends. We started doing travels and events. Eventually, I sold the snooker business in 1982. Fort Mattrum, which started in '82 just really to have some fun and look after Steve and a few of the Snooker boys. And it just grew organically, really, with different ideas and different sports I've had a passion about over my life. Probably I played them all, but not very well. Uh, And the business grew and grew with more and more technically gifted, passionate young people driving the business with ideas and creativity. And then along came Sky Television and, my whole life changed entirely. I suddenly had a broadcaster that understood what I wanted to do with sport, which was live sport, send out a message about aspirational values to young people, but perhaps more importantly, entertain people with the soap opera that that sport can become. So it's uh, it's been a merry-go-round, and uh, it's it's been just fun. I mean, I can't, despite the odd disaster, for which there have been some. Uh, I can't remember not having a smile on my face or hearing the sound of laughter in my office. And if you can keep that enthusiasm going, then, then you're a lucky person.
0: And you mentioned that that, that merry-go-round. Now, obviously, Matchroom's has become one of the fastest-growing companies uh, in the UK. But but it, it nearly did go, go bankrupt at one point. I mean, how, how did you kind of react at that point and turn it around? And, and what lessons did you learn as
1: well? I think we learned some really... Interesting, constructive lessons that we have seen the benefits of every day, and in particular in these trying circumstances. I had a vision of television sport coming to the UK before it came, and I probably jumped the gun. And I was so keen to create events for this new broadcast platform that, that whether it was Eurosport, whether it was Sky, with, so you know there were there were a few players out there, um, but I was a little bit early. And and again, you learn a lesson that I didn't have enough money to do what I wanted to do in terms of hard cash, which involved borrowing at banks. And then, of course, the recession came in 1988. And all of a sudden, life didn't look so particularly sweet for a couple of years. And we learned a different part about ourselves. We learned the relentlessness that you need in business, the fact that you don't give up, you don't put your head in the sand. All of these lessons have come back now with COVID-19, The same attitude, the attitude to survive first and then to learn and then to grow. And what we did during those periods of 88 was actually borrow a lot of money, uh, which means that the moment we came out of it, we never, ever borrowed again because we don't want to go through that experience. We learned to be creative because we had to be. So from 88 to 90, I would literally go in the office and, not leave until I'd sent someone an invoice, for something, however small, it didn't matter, you know? And we learned that hours put in and work ethic can get you out of almost any problem, but you've got to be prepared to pay the price. So it was a very good learning curve, and I think the character of the company that evolved from that was built on those rocky foundations in the late 80s where we learned lessons and we made sure we stored that information for future use. And we are seeing that come home today in today's circumstance better than anything I've seen. And you must be very proud to,
0: to see your son Eddie involved now as well?
1: Yeah, my son has been a sort of trained to do this since he was about seven years old. There was no escape for him. You know, he would stand behind my shoulder while I was having pals on the phone with Don King and Bob Arum and people like that. And he, he, he developed a passion for it. My daughter runs my TV side of the business. She's ex-sky, a uh, tremendously qualified woman, but not the salesman type that Eddie and I are. And you need a mix of personalities in a business to make sure that you're not overlooking things like technical quality and the ability to deliver what the customer wants to see and make sure the customer's getting value for money. So you need a balance of personalities. If it was all just me and Eddie, it would be chaos. But behind that, each one has their own, each section has their own leader. You know, so, and when you make someone a leader, you don't do it to overrule him. Once you empower someone, you have to give them the road because otherwise you haven't made a good decision yourself. So things like Matt Poulter will run the darts. Um, Steve Dawson, my right-hand man, will be chief executive of the snooker. They will report to you but you let them run the business because one day I won't be here, you won't be here. But the legacy, surely, is what we're trying to build. It's something that will be here in a sustainable manner for a long time. So you need people and you need to listen to people at all times, especially in today's world, the younger people, because they are – come up with creative ideas that I've seen during COVID-19 that has inspired me uh, and that's, you know, I'm going to take all the credit because I'm sort of the face, the old face of the business and I'm very happy to take the credit by the way but <laughs> the actual truth is the real heroes are, are behind me reporting in and getting themselves in a position personally to one day be running the business and we've got we've lucky we've got an army of the best in the world that I think that can take over and do a better job than, than the present incumbents in time. I want to talk uh, a little bit about sport now.
0: I mean, you've managed to get the, the, the snooker back on the on on the screens with the, with the sort of Champions League format, and yesterday we saw the huge announcement and progress with the two fight deal between Fury and Joshua. Uh, is okay. this a sign of sports coming back to normal?
1: Yes, I mean everything we hope's coming to normal, but we don't really know what normal is. Yeah, The world will change on this COVID-19. It's going to have a huge knock-on effect right through the whole structure of business, whether it's cash flow, whether it's relationships with investors, or whether indeed it's new activity and new ideas. What we've seen is that you know, we came up with a creative idea of darts at home, which actually gave us 43 days of darts. It wasn't the greatest technical quality, but it was interesting, and in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. gave us a product to, to sell. We followed that up with stage two, which is obviously behind closed doors snooker, because that's going to be the precursor for many events over the next few months where they will be behind closed doors. Eventually, I don't know when, uh, eventually the social distancing rules will change and eventually we will be allowed probably a percentage crowd of live audience, but that's in the future and we don't know where it is. So, like we always do, we work on the worst thing that can happen. You know, we budget for a disaster and then everything is uptime. You know, we don't get negative and say, oh, it's, a, you know, put your head in the sand, wait me when it's all over. We roll the dice, but we do it in a very calculated, structural way. And then we have, that involves logistical planning, obviously. So suddenly, you know, we find that Joshua and Titan Fury are in agreement on the basis, the structure of a deal for them to fight. This is very exciting, but, again, there's hurdles to get through, isn't there? You know, Joshua has a commitment to Kulev, and uh, uh, Tyson Fury has a commitment to Deontay Wilder. And, of course, in the background is is Dylan White, who's a mandatory challenger, is Alexander Usyk, who's a mandatory challenger. So, at least, everything has to be taken into account, and generally, money speaks, you know, the type of deal that can be originated. But at least it's good news, I suppose, for the boxing fans to know that we are on the same page, at least on the first leg of that journey. But there's a, there's a while to go yet.
0: Uh, thank you, Barrett. I just want to uh, stick on sport. Obviously, uh, many people know you, you were previously chairman of, of Leighton Orient. It's been well documented that a lot of clubs in the, the UK and the lower leagues are struggling financially. Yeah, I mean, yeah. how are they going
1: to survive this with with funding so tight? With great difficulty. I'm really, my heart goes out. I, obviously, I'm biased as a, as a, an ex. Well, an ex-chairman, a current president of Lake Norwich, so I want to see community clubs survive. I think they're going to have a really big problem. I mean, their cash flow is decimated with our crowds, without season ticket holders. And it's all very well, you know, these people come up and say, well, you can draw down a payment That's we will bring it forward from September to, to June, or governments say we'll give you loans. The thing you have to always remember is those loans have to be paid back at some stage, so you've got to build it. So this is where the effects of COVID will have a long-term, because people are going to have to look at business in a different way. And football clubs are a prime example. Now, the football clubs have not been a sustainable business in the lower leagues it, during my lifetime. It's it, usually financed by people with a passion that have done well and want to help the community, which is commendable. But in truth, the only thing that really survives the test of time is a proper sustainable business. To add that, you have to have a plan. And I'm afraid football is probably past their sell by date. You know, we dream one day of the Premier League chairing their riches with lower league. It's not going to happen. I mean, <laughs> they, they may make a few cursory, you know, give them a few bob, keep them quiet type of approach, but they're not going to dig there. And actually, football now has become such a big business. The only way the lower league clubs will ever be protected is if, with government inter- intervention by way of an ombudsman that actually lays down the rules and probably takes a percentage of Television revenue and then distributes it centrally, because if we wait on people's generosity, in my experience, we'll be waiting a long time.
0: You mentioned people's generosity there; it's been well well documented. And in as a, in a, in a player, you know well because you, you signed them at Leyton Orient. Harry Kane. And yeah, just he's done with <laughs> Leighton Orient. So you, you, oh. you mentioned it, mentioned it there about Premier League clubs kind of helping out. So you don't see that as a future model uh, of, of well, I'd, I'd love
1: to see it. I'd love. I mean, Harry Kane has been. Tremendous, you know. He was oh, obviously started, we started him off, didn't we? we we're going <laughs> to try and take something from Harry Kane being, and, and run, one of the top strikers in the world. Very learned his craft at late glory. I think <laughs> Harry Redknapp, who is in charge at Spurs, may have an opinion on that, which is not the same as mine. But he was a lovely lad, and, and you know, I think it's just wonderful that he remembers. I think that's a character test with the pick in the box. for Harry Kane, he actually remembered, and he did something about it, and it's something tangible. And I'd love to see that extended by lots of players that have gone on to be huge successes that do remember. Human nature tells me that they won't all remember. But what I'm saying is really the problem is much bigger than that. The problem is a whole community basis of why football clubs exist at local level, you know. And they're not going to win the Champions League. They're not going to win the FA Cup. But They actually do a really good job for a community. And they can do more if they had because they've got the the OPS I mean, at Lake Norwich, we used to do, see hundreds of thousands of kids during the year simply because footballers could actually go into places where policemen couldn't go because football was recognized as something which was all embracing, which was you know, open to all, which is the fundamentals of a successful sport. But I'm afraid to say that the clock is ticking on these clubs. You know, I think 20 or 30 of them will be in trouble by Christmas. And I don't know the answer. The answer is not just to go out and borrow more money. Because borrowing money means you've got to repay money and interest rates, although they're very low at the moment, will rise over the next 18 months. As we come through, hopefully through, our recession that is definitely going to be knocking on all of our doors. So we must be aware of this. There's no magic wand. And, and that's my frustration with football. I, I, I don't believe people voluntarily necessarily give out billions and millions of pounds when they could keep it themselves, and and you look at the values of Premier League clubs, and it's centred around money, and centred around some well, of those people are an awful lot of money as well. So they also have their own problems. They will argue, which is why I always feel that something as big as football should actually have a bit more national control. But uh, whether or not the government are brave enough to do that, I don't know. Uh, It's not a time for having a publicity picture taken with famous sportsmen and women. It's a time to appreciate sport and realise that sport needs finance and that has to come from somewhere. And government has failed on many levels to invest enough in grassroots sport, which is, in fact, an investment in the character of the country. And at times like this, we need to back our own people, irrespective of race, religion, religion. Age, sex—it doesn't matter because sport is just an all-encompassing feel-good factor that the nation needs, especially at the moment.
0: Oh, thanks, Barry. Just on the next question, you've met through boxing, snooker, football—you've met a managed of huge characters. Who are the standout ones for you? And you and look and you look back and they make you smile now. Well, I think
1: I think everything makes me smile. Usually, you're like, "Oh, how did I do that? Why did I do that?" <laughs> you can always learn by imitation, but. I think obviously, you know, look, my life changed in 1981 when Steve Davis won the World Super Championships in a day that I will remember pretty well every day of my life. I still get, I am it now, the hairs on my arms go up, which is a good sign. Um, Chris Eubank was a larger-than-life character and, you know, him defeating Nigel Ben in 1990 was a massive, massive day because we were coming out of the recession, we needed a superstar, everything slotted into place, you know. Going further down, you can. We are talking about literally tens of thousands of athletes. I have to say that Joshua, if he develops as I believe he does, I think Anthony Joshua will go down as one of the great heavyweights. I think he's a big favourite to beat Tyson Fury. He's got to get there first, but that's going to be a fight that's going to have the attention of the world. And that, what we're talking about in business or in in life, you know, you need a bus. You need a reason to get up in the morning. You need a reason to drive further forward. And because we can all get complacent and what we've learned from COVID-19 is actually there is one beneficial lesson, we've learned not to take things for granted because suddenly they're not there. And when things are not there, we suddenly realize how much we miss them. And that is actually something where we should perhaps come out of this appreciating a little bit more how lucky we all are in life. Instead of fighting amongst ourselves, there's a much bigger picture. In comparison to the world, this, is, this country is a great, great place to live in. And yes, we can make it better. But we must learn not to take things you know, for granted. We must learn to continually strive to improve both in our life and in our business. And that's the game that we play at you know, Profits have probably dented this year, of course, but not significantly. And we've had 30 years of growth, so we're in a very good place. But we are playing a game. The game is to be the best you can be. That's all you can ask for. And then if that little bit of luck, lady luck comes in, if the signs of the economy pick up, you're in a position to take advantage. But we can only be as good as we can be. So don't, don't test yourself too much on that. Just work bloody hard. And you'll get the benefits. It's not rocket science, is it really? I always say, someone said to me once, how do I improve productivity in my company? I said, start an hour early and finish an hour later. It's not rocket science.
0: <laughs> thanks, Baron. I think that's, 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 a, that's a nice way to, to, to finish with my questions. We're going to now move to some from uh, the audience. So thank you very oh. much for that. We've got one from uh, Adam Whittaker. Do you believe we will ever see a billion dollar boxing
1: match? This would be a crazy question three years ago, four years ago, the answer is it's actually possible now because of the technology involved in the pay-per-view concept and the fact that we are becoming certain big sports events are global events. So if you understand that there are, I don't know, four point something billion people in the world, and then you take a percentage of those and say, 10% 10% of those are interested in sport enough to buy an event at different levels depending on the country. You know what? You could see a billion boxing. I'm not sure whether Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua is there at this stage. But you know, if you put it into your mindset, the market is there. So don't limit your ambition. If the marketing is strong enough to put across a message Everyone says, I must watch this. It's possible. It is just possible.
0: That's interesting. Thank you. Great, great question there uh, from Adam. Jeanette, Ruth, what qualities do you look for in a leader, Barry? I look for
1: people that can be relentless in the pursuit of excellence. So in other words, not just, in our case, the events we do, but the life they lead, the standards they have. And that would include a work ethic that inspires me and makes me believe that they want to be special. I look in the eyes. I want to see a twinkle. I want to feel adrenaline. I don't want a yes man. I want someone, hey, I expect respect. I'm old and I know what I'm doing. But I don't want people that just say yes. I want people that come to me with ideas. I want people that are prepared to fail, but who will not fail to prepare.
0: Good answer and good question, uh, Jeanette. I've got Neil Smith. Uh, which area of sport do you think are most primed for growth over the next five to ten years? What's mm. what the other trends as Barry see commerce-wise and, and what that are most interesting, i.e. the zone and over-the-top content, etc.?
1: Yeah, I think this is going to be a very interesting time in the next five years in the technical side of television, especially. You know, we've come through an area where BBC and ITV ran the route in the UK, for example, and then along came the pay stations, Sky, Eurosport. I think we're now moving to the next level of millennial marketing where people are beginning to say, I, I don't mind paying for my sport. I think we've got over that hurdle, but they want to be selective about what they're paying for. And I think over the next five years there will be a movement away from big monthly subscriptions into individual choice per event or sport. And I think we're seeing that a little bit already. I mean, we've launched a site called Matchroom Live, which is which is free at the moment. So by all means, go and watch it. But eventually, that will become, in time pay station on certain high-profile events. So what I see is, I see people saying, I don't mind paying a pound or two pounds to watch something specific, but I don't want a massive £100 or whatever. And in America, we're seeing this, uh, which we generally follow, uh, ESPN losing subscribers, ESPN plus a digital service, much cheaper. Uh, the Zone, for example, being... Obviously, the problems at the moment, but as they come back now with, with more lives full, we will see a surge in that type of company. It's people don't have contracts around their neck. They can pick and choose. They can watch ball and they want to watch it on whatever device they want to watch it on at a price that they can afford. And I think people will get more price conscious. And I'm very happy with this situation because I believe that certain niche vaults, a lot of which I own or control, Will, it will benefit from those key supporters saying, Oh, I can watch my fishing, I can watch my temping bowling or whatever at a minimal cost, but without having to lump in a lot of other programming on their acquisition that's not relevant to their lifestyle.
0: Thank you, Neil and, and Barry. Uh, Neil Criddle, uh, Barry mentioned luck earlier in the interview. Hmm. What does he think is the best way to generate luck? Is it through networking
1: with well, people, finance, that- relentlessness? A hotline through to God is probably the best way (laughs) (laughs) in general. There is no other way. I mean, the question is interesting because there's two sides of luck. One is you need it badly. And I've had a lifetime of luck, so I'm quite an expert on this. The other side of it is being smart enough to take advantage of that luck. In other words, not to miss the opportunity to recognize the fact it's lucky. Don't go Bertie Big on yourself and think it's all down to you because it's not. I mean, I don't want to be too religious, but it is the man upstairs that just decides this day is your day sometimes. It can be bizarre, but you have to recognize that moment. Then you have to maximize that moment. That's the key issue. So when you talk about is it through networking with well-connected individuals obtaining fines to relentless market, you're absolutely right about that, but that follows the bit of luck. You know, first off, you have to be look at my life. Steve Davis walks in off the street, off the street. I think he had a hole in his trousers. He had a long jumper. He had long, saggy hair. He's 18 years old. He has no personality. Zero. No one knew his name. He just ended up being the best player in the world, and we became best mates, and we still, my luck is that he's still my best friend today. So that's a that's a wonderful But uh, Once I recognize that God had given me this gift, I was relentless in the marketing. I was networking with well-connected individuals. I was making a business out of a little bit of luck. But don't kid yourself, it makes you special. Probably the man upstairs is special. And in my lifetime, whether it was Steve Davis, whether it was Eubank walking into my life, whether it was Sky TV being forged, whether it was DZone being the, the new idea, these pieces of luck fall into place. But there are people, you know, the man that ignored the details. There are times that people don't take advantage of it. And why? That's when they've got to look at themselves because they haven't had the character, the ability, or the work ethic, or they couldn't be bothered, or things were doing okay anyway, so I don't need the attitude. That's not that never exists. It doesn't matter. You know, as as much money as you're making, if you turn down an opportunity, then you're not the person I thought you were. So well, it is lucky Luck just happens, my friend, but once it does, make sure you maximise on it. Otherwise, you're actually insulting the man upstairs who gave you the luck to start with, and that's not a good
0: idea. Thank you, Neil, and and thanks, Barry, for that answer. Aid Warburton here. What fight would you like to see after Fury, Joshua? Great question. Great question. Well, I think for both, I
1: think for both of them, look, the winner of Fury and Joshua and the loser of Fury and Joshua are both going to be major players on the world stage after that fight. Let's just say this is not winner take all and go away. Although they're going to make so much money, who knows what happens? But we are privileged at the moment to see some great fight out there and some great fighters out there. I think Dylan White has done more than more than claim his position as a world champion because I think he's, well, he's the world champion in, in a respect and as far as he's waiting for his manager to jump. I think Alexander Utsic may well become as he grows in size and develops technique. I think he may be a major player in the heavyweight division. And then you look outside of that, there are two obvious ones, but you look outside of that and uh, you see Daniel Dubois, you, you, know, you see Joyce, you see Parker from New Zealand. I mean, there are some There are some good heavyweights out there, and as a fight fan, I mean, I'm not involved in the boxing business. Obviously, Eddie runs that. I mean, we talk about it all the time, but as I said earlier, you don't put someone in charge and then take away their decision-making process. He is totally in charge of boxing, nothing to do with me at all. As a fan, I'm made up with the type of fights that we are going to see, and I think there's going to be some crackers. but. There's always going to be problems in the heavyweight division, whether it's egos, personalities, whether it's a purse split. You know, you get down to silly things like who walks into the ring first and all this nonsense. At the end of the day, as fight fans, we just want to see them inside that four-couldered ring and uh, enjoy what's going to be a spectacle. But as I say, I think Dylan White, he's overdue his chance. Usyk, champion in waiting, but Fury and Joshua at the moment, top of the park.
0: Uh, thanks, Barry. It's definitely a a, a packed um,
1: uh, uh, stable, isn't it, with heavyweight fighters? Yeah, yeah it is, yeah.
0: Been, oh,
1: sorry, Karen. I'm just saying, I'm just reading who is Barry's all-time sports hero. I mean, I've got so many of them. I'm so passionate about sport. You know, the problem with my life is I wanted to be the sportsman, you know. I've ended up with no ability. <laughs> I've been okay at everything, whether it's running marathons, playing cricket, I wasn't very I wasn't very good at fighting to be honest with you. I like, I love fighting but I just wasn't very good at it and it's quite painful if you're not good at it, so not a good career. But I appreciate even if I don't enjoy the sport, I mean I don't like tennis particularly, but I have to say Roger Federer is an icon, you know. I don't enjoy Formula One. That's just not my thing. But I don't stop appreciating Lewis Hamilton. If you're talking about all time sport here, it's easy to say the man behind me, the shorts of the man behind me, Muhammad Ali, probably gets that, that nod. But, you know, Tiger Woods on a great day is not very far behind. You know, Roger Bannister was good, you know, when he broke the four-minute mark. We have thousands of heroes because, for me, my whole life has been putting sports men and women on a pedestal and almost worshipping them. But by doing that, I exploit their IP values. I make sure they... You know, When we talk about sport, we mustn't just like sport for the Corinthian standards of sport. Sport is a money business, and sport, to be successful, must change lives, because then it's held up as an example for everybody else to make that extra bit of effort. If they have a little bit of luck, which comes back, where God has decided to give you a little bit of natural ability, it still has to be brought out of you, so you have to be inspired by your heroes, It has to be maximized. You have to be able to say, look what I've got because I'm special because that will inspire everybody else, and it will drive you on to make the sacrifices necessary to reach the very top, whether you're in sport or business. If you're not prepared to sacrifice, you will never hit the top of a mountain. You will you will do well on base camp. You'll never get to the peak, and that's the sacrifice that we look to. So all-time sports heroes, listen, mate. I could spend an hour telling you about my altar. I go back to Shudder Ray Robinson. I quite like Jake LaMotta. I mean, you know, where do we stop? You know, I like Anne Packer when she won the 800 metres and David Coleman gave, you know, this, this program is not long enough for small <laughs> heroes, but there's lots of them out there. And I, put, I still put Steve Davis and bankers right up there because they inspired me by the dedication and the work ethic they put into their craft. No, thank you,
0: Barry. Great, great question. A uh, question from Josh uh, Thornbright. What is the one fact about you that we can't find online, Barry?
1: I don't know why I should give you a secret. Ollie, you've <laughs> always been kind to me in the past. So, okay, what's never been shown and what people probably don't know because I'm just an old man now, 72 years old in a week's time, a couple of heart attacks behind me, enjoying every second, most people don't know that I have two tattoos. Ah. When I had my first tattoo done, it was about eight years ago, my wife went ballistic. <laughs> what are you doing? Eddie said, that is the worst tattoo I've ever seen. And my daughter said, dad, you're so cool, which was the reaction I wanted. <laughs> so online, you will never find out what it says on my right arm underneath a tattoo. And then, of course, two years ago, I decided to finish the set back in Vegas. And I had the same uh, logo or inscription, tattoo, but a different word underneath the one on the left arm. But the two words on each of my arms sum up what is important in my life better than anything else. And you can't find that online, man. That's a good answer to a good question, isn't it? That's, that's a great answer. That's I a mean, really it's exclusive, good. Ollie, so I don't think it adds to the business side of your discussion. <laughs> Josh, Go back, that's a great question. Now you know, and I'm not even going to tell you either, so then. <laughs> well, no, we, we, we were looking for an exclusive, Barry, so I'm very, very glad we got one. Right? <laughs> not was- the exclusive you were hoping for, <laughs> I'm sure.
0: And that's a perfect way to move. I just want to say really, really thank you, uh, Barry. That was fascinating and thank you for everyone who submitted questions. Just just a final word from yourself, Barry?
1: Well, look, you know, we all know there are terrible times going on and we know the world is upside down and, and you know what? as you get older you look back and say, This has all happened before. You know, this has happened before. There's been pandemics, there's been racial struggles, there's been sporting struggles, there's been technical struggles. What we just say is let's just Calm yourself down. Have a smile. Let's remember how lucky we are in some ways. But let's not stop trying to improve both as people and as business people. There is a balance to be made. And I think as you get closer to God, you realize that the most important thing is what you can put your arms around at home. So enjoy your life. Hope that you have that little bit of luck. And don't stop. Don't stop trying. Be totally relentless within the the powers that you have and everyone is different but there's a level for everybody to, and i think everyone can achieve better with the right mental approach to business as well as to life so god bless everybody and stay healthy